What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Welcome to Who Pods the Watchmen. This is a special mini episode happening in the interim between episode three and episode four. I'm your host, Grant Davis, and I'm flying solo on this one. I've been thinking about some of the running plot lines, musing about particular theories, reading about different theories and and discussion that's going on online as well about what's going on with this show. And I wanted to sit down and just kind of talk over some of the more interesting aspects of the plot, throw out some theories here and there. And I guess this is a good point to go ahead and say, Hey, spoiler warning. If you are the type of person that wants to watch this show without going a little bit too far over the deep end, maybe skip this particular episode That's probably what I'm going to do here. But if you are on board for listening to some of these wackier theories, then by all means, let's do this. Let's go ahead and jump in here. Uh, First off, I wanted to say uh, we've been getting a lot of support over on Patreon. We appreciate all the new people that have joined us over there. And we're trying to do more bonus exclusive stuff for you guys. So appreciate those who have joined. And for those of you who are thinking about it, it's patreon.com slash who pods the watchman There you can go and make a per month pledge. Give us two bucks, five bucks a month. And uh, we appreciate all the support. Now let's go ahead and dive in here. And the first thing I want to talk about is what is going on with Adrian Vate's character, Ozymandias. Now that we've, now it's been confirmed in this episode, he is Adrian Vate. He announces it triumphantly in the episode. Jeremy Irons looks like he's having a great time playing this character. It's such a quirky, bizarre take on every aspect of this story. But there's one thing that I saw some other people mention online, and I'm kind of ashamed that I hadn't put two and two together in this regard. But there is quite clearly at this point an element of what is going on with his plot line and how it works within the construct of the Watchmen show that is a direct parallel to how the Black Freighter comic exists in the comic book of Watchmen. So he, his storyline is like the Black Freighter. It's a little bit incongruous. It's a little bit jarring in the fact that it's not tied directly to Tulsa, but I'm sure that we're going to be able to, in some regard, piece together metaphors and analogies that are going on within his plot line that are applicable as well to the larger statement going on in this first season of Watchmen. But also with that said, we have a person Stranded from society. We have that with um, the main character, the the sailor in Black Freighter, and we have that with Adrian Vate, who seems, or Vite, rather, who seems to be stranded on this 
this at this castle, but now it seems more and more that it's no longer just simply a castle. He seems to be in this other realm. And a lot of the theorizing is that this is somehow a construct of Dr. Manhattan's making, whether or not this is an island on Mars or, or like this kind of um, castle, countryside, in English countryside castle location that's existing in some sort of snow globe out in space, which would also be very appropriate, the snow globe uh, tie-in to Silk Spectre in particular's um, storyline from Watchmen. But it it does also match the Black Freighter storyline in that, yeah, we have Adrian Fate stranded in this world and he's looking to escape. And now we, we see him beginning this sort of these movements where he's taking the clones, the Mr. Phillips and Mrs. Crookshanks or Miss Crookshanks. And at least in the case of Mr. Phillips, he's taking these bodies and throwing them out into this void where they're freezing. It's likely that is space. Well, I shouldn't say likely. It's theorized that it's potentially space that he's tossing them out into and they're freezing. But how fitting might it be that he takes a lot of these clones and uses their corpses as a way of manufacturing some sort of raft, either uh, physical or metaphorical, that allows his escape and return to humanity that would directly parallel what's going on in the black freighter. And in that pursuit of, of finding his way back home, he in some way loses a sense of himself and becomes a monster. You could already argue that the events of the original Watchmen comic have already outlined that he went through this sort of journey of trying to save his family, save humanity. And in that journey, he already became a monster. In fact, I I think that's kind of outlined in the parallels already of the Black Freighter and his storyline in the original comic. But they might be doing another exploration of that in that as he uses these clone robot hybrid things that Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks are to his own devices, he's losing a bit of his humanity and how he's his treatment of them is. And maybe in his loneliness and isolation, he's going a little bit mad. I think that's certainly possible with what's going on here. And that brings me to talking about Mr. Phillips himself. I posited a theory on Reddit and Instagram this week that it seems what's going on with Mr. Phillips' character is that we see there's multiple clones of this individual, and this individual is set up as a servant to Vite while he's trapped in this castle. But we also see this masked guardian this episode wearing this sort of Lone Ranger mask, and he looks a lot like the actor Tom Meissen who's playing Mr. Phillips. So it's very likely it's the exact same uh, clone slash robot sort of um, being who's acting both as, as servant and, and game warden um, kind of uh, protector or guardian to prevent any escape by Vite or any 
actions by him that may go outside the bounds of whatever agreement he mentions in that letter. And if Mr. Phillips is playing both of these roles, and there's this idea that Dr. Manhattan is the architect of this area, this, this um, prison that he's trapped in, is it not also possible that these clones are based in how they, they look on the identity of Dr. Manhattan himself? Could this be our first look at Dr. Manhattan? Is it not possible that Tom Meissen is playing the role of the, I guess, the, um, the physical form of what formerly John Osterman, who became Dr. Manhattan, looked like in his human form? And wouldn't it be all the more poetic in how we see his treatment, how we see Vite treats the Mr. Phillips character, how he's just abusive verbally to him and physically he's, he's murdering them and being dismissive of them. And yet he's also trying to be this controlling puppet master. Wouldn't it fit with the ego of Adrian Vite that he's made a play and owed to the life of Dr. Manhattan, and he gleefully watches as Manhattan gets torn apart over and over inside of his his makeshift um, intrinsic field generator that he's made, which is actually just burning him alive. And he seems to, in a way, get off on this kind of experience, this, this domination over Mr. Phillips. And if Mr. Phillips is based off the model of Dr. Manhattan, who he would be familiar with from his time in the Crime Busters and, you know, working alongside him, he would know what he looked like previous to. So that wouldn't even be a surprise to him. Maybe he has this resentment toward him and maybe we are seeing Dr. Manhattan or at least a, a clone version of him. And I think <laughs> I think that could have a lot of really interesting um, ramifications because we also know, well, some some people know or at least speculate the names Mr. Phillips and Miss uh, Crookshanks are two characters from the Watchmen comic, Mime and Marionette. And per- perhaps some of these clones, I call them robots as well, and people have been calling me out, don't call them robots, but at the same time, they, they don't act human. They're not... They're not with. They're not possessing human emotion. They don't have this sense of uh, self-preservation. They seem complicit in giving their lives. It doesn't seem like human clone is really accurate. They're clones, but there's some sort of um, emotional detachment that I think it's fair to also, in a way, refer to them as robots. I mean, maybe not robots hardwired like, like um like just a, a C-3PO or anything, but more like this kind of fusion, like Westworld in a way, which, I mean, this also definitely seems like a nod to Westworld by Lindelof and gang, which I think is really also a, a great, fascinating tie-in. Um, there's there's also this this possibility, this theory, that the captor, or the person in which he's made an arranged deal with that he stay on this castle prison island thing is actually not Dr. Manhattan, but is Trio, which we see 
um, the actress who's going to be playing, um, I, I forgot her name, but I'm guessing it's Trihu uh, or the head of that business. She's going to be making her debut in the next episode. But potentially he made some sort of uh, business trade with her and that's why he's in captivity here. It's possible. I, I don't, I, I think right now it's a lot more interesting to think with how things are being plotted out that it's, it is Dr. Manhattan. Moving on though, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the title of this episode, which was she was killed by space junk. This is a Devo song or it's a lyric from the Devo song space junk, um, which is off of, also off of that same CD that Lori's playing in the very beginning when she goes to her apartment. And I think it's an, it's once again, an interesting title. I love that they are continuing this tradition of infusing um, lyrics and, and pop culture references into the titles of their episodes. And in a way, I think there's multiple ways to kind of take this, that she was killed by space junk. Um, we have this idea that she, she's emotionally, still pining for her relationship with Dr. Manhattan. She carries this blue dildo in her suitcase, her briefcase that obviously is a, a a reference for us that she has not gotten over that relationship. Even her discussion with him and telling this joke and still trying to make this connection with him through the, the blue um, telephone to Mars machine is that she's been killed by him. The the Lori of the past is dead, and in her place is this cynical shell of, of that person, a, a new person, I guess, in a way, too. Um, I mean, space junk also could re- refer to, you know, his junk, his, his genitalia, and the, uh, the dildo that we find in the briefcase. And, of course, the car falling from the sky is a pretty big um, uh, tie back into that title as well, that she's almost killed by junk that fell from the sky. Space junk. It's a busted up car. The joke that she tells when she's in that pod talking to Dr. Manhattan, presumably, is what is called a a brick joke. This is a a trope that's um, frequently used. It's named after an old joke, which seems at first blush to be a pair of unrelated jokes. I'm reading this off of tvtropes.org. At the end of the first joke, the brick is tossed away, leaving the confused listener without a punchline. And at the end of the second joke, the brick returns and the listener falls on the floor laughing. Um, And it's also kind of referred to as Chekhov's gag. This idea of this, you leave a dangling thread of a, a joke, a plot line, and then you have people kind of wanting to hear the resolution of it, but then they forget about it so that the punchline later is all the sweeter. And we definitely get that in this episode with the car crashing. Like at the end of that last episode, everyone was just curious about like what picked up that car? Where did the car go? What is going on with that? And for it to just kind of linger as this this mystery that we end up kind of forgetting with a lot of the other elements that are going on in this lorry driven plot line only for it to return right at the end is this great brick joke. It's this reminder of, Oh yeah, this show is doing all sorts of crazy stuff and it's setting us up with these 
these tricks and the fact that she uses the brick joke in here to frame what the writers are doing is very meta, but it also might speak to some other larger machinations at work by the writers of this show that there could be some other additional mysteries that were presented early on. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not figuring out what it might be, but it may be that there's some mystery that's presented that we're getting a little bit distracted by so that it'll pay off like a brick joke. I mean, this is not necessarily unfamiliar to a lot of television show writing at this point in time, but I like that they, they fold the explanation of their architecture of the show into a plot element of this particular episode. And yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what pays off from that. I wanted to also mention a little bit about Petey. It's really cool that we see Petey, Agent Dale Petey from Petypedia, now that we've already been presented with that mystery of the supplemental material and using that as fodder for additional discussion of the show, that we see this character. And we have at one point him showing off this little mask that he made, a little Lone Ranger mask that uh, Agent Blake says very dismissively, you're a federal agent, not the lone fucking ranger. And it's a great line. It ties into his mask. It also looks a lot like the little domino mask, both that her father wore and that we see the game warden on, on the mystery castle prison island wearing when he threatens Vite. And I think it's not a coincidence that we also see the very first character in this sh- this show is Bass Reeves, the the actor playing the character Bass Reeves or the the real real life historical figure Bass Reeves, who was um, anecdotally supposedly um, the inspiration for the character of the Lone Ranger. Just how they they weave these references and nods back into the plot over and over is just so so well thought out and and executed and i really enjoy it the mention there's a mention by uh keen senator keen that there is a russian intrinsic field generator uh, this is after there's uh the assassination attempt which was it an assassination attempt here i'll get into that in a second but he mentions a russian intrinsic field generator that seems to be at play and that was the device that ended up turning dr manhattan into dr manhattan tore apart his body and he was able to bring himself back together and if the idea is that russia is now working on making their own superhero weapon to have their own sort of professor stalingrad or whatever you want to call him um that is a another interesting like underlying menace. And I, I wonder if that's going, if that's just like ca- a casual throwaway line in this season, that might be something they could explore in a second season, or if that is going to be an actual plot point later down the line in this same season. Um, and yeah, is it possible that um, Dr. Manhattan is aware of this? Is he maybe pulling the strings? Maybe he wants himself a, a, a doctor girlfriend of sorts. Um, and he's like, well, if, if I can't figure out how to do it myself, maybe someone else could get torn apart and 
put back together. I don't know. So uh, interesting idea. Um, in the very beginning of the episode, we see Lori take a hostage and a fake bank robbery. And it turns out that her and this hostage are actually um, agents, partners in the FBI. And so it's a ruse. Her taking the hostage, they're actually working together. Later, we see that Agent or Senator Keene is taken hostage. And is it not also possible that he is in cahoots with the 7th Cavalry? He knew that he was being taken hostage. Like, it could have been direct foreshadowing, even within the same episode, her getting taken hostage and then the reveal that they're actually working together, her and the hostage. So the idea that Keen might also be taking that same sort of page and acting as the victim plays both to what we see in the beginning of this episode, but also, interestingly, in the Watchmen comic, right around the midpoint, we see Ozymandias. Adrian Veidt in the comic is threatened by a, a, an assassination attempt. And we later learn that the whole thing was staged and orchestrated by him, that he ends up hiring the person to try to assassinate him only for him to attack the assassin and po- uh, put a cyanide pill, the poison pill in his mouth, which we also see this poison pill in reference in the first episode with one of the seventh cavalry taking a poison pill. So these zealots are willing to give their life for a particular cause, but he also could be exploiting them to his own gain. And this would very much be in in line with Watchmen and with what they did with Ozymandias. If there is if there are greater machinations afoot with Senator Keene. So I think that we definitely need to keep an eye on that character and there's there's gotta be more going on with what he's plotting. But For now, those are just some of my loose thoughts for this episode, and I would love to hear what you guys are thinking, so please hit us up. You can hit us up in the comments on our podcast. You can hit us up on patreon.com slash whopodsawatchmen or over on our Instagram page or any of our social media, and we would love to hear what you guys are thinking about this. Um, Do you think that Keen is up to much more dastardly of a plot is he is he evil seems like he might be evil anyway uh would love to hear your thoughts on all of this and we will be back on sunday once again to talk about episode four really looking forward to that one thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you soon